You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Again, good morning. My name is Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Church, and I'm excited to see all of your faces this morning as we continue through the book of Acts now in Acts chapter 3. Now, names uh, matter. They're significant, right? Uh, When you hear a name, it carries weight and meaning. When you hear a particular name, for instance, you might think of someone famous, someone who has significance, someone who has power, someone who has prestige, and we're going to play a little game and see how well we're at, we're good at this in guessing names. So when you see this first name, Michael, what's the first thing you think of as the last name? Jordan. Jordan. Did someone say Scott? Michael's not. <laughs> Come on. The correct answer is definitely Michael Jordan, all right? Um, right? He... <laughs> Some of you are interesting. All right. Um, he is, he's the GOAT, right? I mean, we think of someone who displays so much power and prestige through sports. that There is none like Michael Jordan. All right, next one. Abraham Lincoln. All right, we're in D.C. You guys got that one, right? Uh, a, a legend in American history. A guy who displayed incredible leadership qualities to get us through probably one of the hardest and most difficult seasons of our history. All right, next one. Taylor there we go. All right. You guys are killing it. I got, I've, uh, the ladies killed on that one, guys. I don't know about you, but the ladies definitely killed on that one. Taylor Swift, right? Uh, every time she releases a music video, the world goes crazy. I mean, every time she thinks about releasing an album, we go crazy, right? Um, she, she sells albums, and, and she's always at the top of the charts. All right, next one. Wesley. No, Wesley Snipes. Come on, like one of the greatest actors of all time. Come on. All right, that was a test because there's no one famous with the name Wesley. (laughs) Uh, So to all the Wesleys out there, I'm sorry, we're just not that significant. Our name does not carry much weight. It does not carry much prestige. I could literally find no one else with the name Wesley. First name Wesley that was famous outside of my brother Wesley Snipes. So um, with that being said, let's, let's go to the next one. Jesus Christ. What do we think about when we think of his name? What comes to mind? What floods our thoughts and our hearts when we think of the name of Jesus? You see in this text, we see this man who is lame and he is healed. He is healed in a particular name, in the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There's power displayed in this name. And this text reminds us, if we were to try to summarize this entire uh, chapter of Acts chapter 3, we see this to be true today, that there is power in the name of Jesus. Power to heal, power to restore, power to save, power because of who he is and what he has done, power because the message that Peter proclaims is truth, power to deal with the actual real stuff that we endure in life, the sin and the suffering that we're all too accustomed with. And this text is going to show us kind of a a blueprint, a grid of how we can look at miracles in the Bible. And we can look at this miracle in Acts chapter 3, the miracle and the message that Peter proclaims. And we can see that there is power in who Jesus is and what he does. And that power actually helps us in our seasons of life that we find ourselves in today. 
because the power that is in the name of Jesus deals with our mess. It actually deals with the sufferings of this life. It deals with the sin that we struggle with each and every day. And so our outline today, as we look at the miracle that Bradley read about in Acts chapter 3, we're going to summarize this, and then also the message that Peter then proclaims. We're going to look at four different directions that this miracle is going to point us into. We're going to understand the power that is displayed in the name of Jesus Christ. It's going to, it's going to cause us to look at four different directions. First, it's going to cause us to look up, up to God, who authenticates Jesus in this message, that he is exactly who he said he was. And then next, it's going to t- tell us to to look forward to this day of full restoration we'll see in, the, in Peter's message. And then it's going to cause us to look inward, inward into our soul's need of salvation. And finally, it's going to cause us to look downward, downward into the mission of Jesus with him. So let's go ahead and take a look here at the text. And before we get into it, let's just kind of recap where we are, because uh, this is a lot of text that Bradley read, and, and I just want to make sure we understand exactly where we are in the book of Acts and kind of give more of a summary of what's happened here uh, in the book of Acts. And so we're looking at the book of Acts because it is the beginning of the church. It's the, it's the birth story of the church. And that's good for us because, in a sense, as King's Church, we feel like we're kind of in the season of new beginnings. Uh, We're seeing growth. We're seeing God do some great things. We're coming out of a season of a pandemic, right? There's new beginnings happening within the church. And anytime it's a new season for a church, it's important for us to look back at our history in the beginning to get our bearings, to root ourselves in the truth of what God is doing through his church. And that's what we've been doing. We looked at chapter one. We see after Jesus ascends into heaven, the spirit then in chapter two is poured out on the disciples. And Peter gets up and he proclaims this incredible message, this incredible sermon. And the response was awesome. 3,000 in one day, repent and believe in Jesus. And then last week we looked at how this new community is being formed. And this new community is marked by devotion and love and generosity And we get to the end of Acts chapter 2, and Acts chapter 2, 47, it ends with reminding us that the Lord is adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. And so in the first two chapters of the book of Acts, things are going pretty well, I would say, right? It's good. This new, beautiful community is formed. Explosive growth is happening. And in the middle of this time, this season of explosive growth, you then have in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, who are kind of like these leaders of the apostles. They're walking in the, the middle of the afternoon, as they should, right, to the temple to pray as an observant Jew would. And here we pick up in our story. And what we find is as they're walking into the temple, right before they get to the last steps of the temple to walk in to pray, there is this man. We don't know this man's name. We do know that he is lame from birth. We know based off of the text that he's probably somewhere in his like mid-40s. He's not a spring chicken. He's been there for a while. Day by day, someone's laying him there. He's asking for alms on the last step before people entered the temple. Now I'm assuming a lot of people probably pass by this gentleman daily. A lot of people probably didn't pay much attention to him. It's a very sad scene when you think about it. Even if it was a good strategy for him to receive money, it's a, it's a pretty sad scene to see this man day by day sitting at these steps of the temple. But he's about to get something much better than pocket change. As Peter and John approach him, the text says that they look at him. They see him. They see his humanity. They don't pass by without a glance. They don't try to turn their head really fast. They lock eyes with this man. And Luke recounts that then they they tell him to look at him, 
look at them. And so now you have this really awkward scene, I think, right? I'm just imagining like time just slows down and you have these two men staring at this guy and then this guy staring back at them and they're just locking eyes for a moment and you're wondering what's going to happen next. And Peter finally breaks the silence. Knowing Peter, he probably broke it pretty soon. He probably couldn't stand the awkward silence. So immediately he's like, I got to say something. And so immediately he tells this gentleman, he says, I don't have money to give you. But what I have to give you is this. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And this man reaches his hand. He grabs Peter's hand and he stands up. That's amazing. A man who has been lame from birth stands. And Luke, who is a doctor of all people recording this, accurately tells us here that this man's feet and ankles are immediately made strong, right? It's not as if he went through a season of physical therapy or he had surgery or that he kind of stumbled up. No, Luke says his, his ankles and his feet were immediately healed. And in the process, he didn't just get up and try to stumble and walk. He started jumping and leaping around like he was going to try out for the track and field Summer Olympics team. I mean, this guy, like, he is in it. He is praising God for what just miraculously happened in his life. And I would imagine if we were there, we'd probably do the same. And so the text continues, and, and the point here that Peter and John are, are, are teaching us in this moment is that there is power, power on display the name of Jesus to heal. And just like it was astonishing and amazing 2,000 years ago, when Jesus still heals today, it blows our socks off, right? And here we see this happening. The people are astounded because this gentleman, he follows Peter and John into the temple. And imagine this, a guy who never got to step foot into the temple because he was always outside the temple is now walking and leaping inside the temple. And everybody's looking saying, that dude used to be the crippled guy on the steps. What is happening here, right? And, and Peter and John, they realize, like, they're starting to, to create a lot of buzz and noise and commotion in the temples. They go out of the temple to the porch, and the crowds are following in amazement because they're wondering what happened. And by the way, this is what it meant to go viral in the first century, right? Like, people are just like, the word is spreading. Like, who are these guys, right? we got to follow them right now. And so they go, and they follow them out, and Peter immediately realizes that the attention is put on him in this moment. And so he gets up, and he says, I'm going to set the, the narrative straight here. This was not my ability. It's not John's ability. It was not through our power that this happened. There was a a power of another that healed this man. And the power of another that healed this man was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Let me tell you about him. And then he opens up and he begins to preach again a message. And in this message, he illuminates for us the understanding of this miracle. And the first thing that he does is he points us upward. Look at verse 13. He says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are witnesses. You know, so oftentimes when we look at miracles in, in the Bible, um, I, I know I went through a season like this, and perhaps you did as well, that you look at these miracles, and honestly, there's like an embarrassment about it. You think, how can I believe in this? Like, did this really happen? Do I really believe that miracles happen? I mean, aren't we past that, Wesley? 
Like, isn't that something for, for people who are superstitious, people who are, are primitive? Aren't we just really looking at the text and saying that there's a deeper meaning here, like a miracle really didn't happen, that there's just some deep spiritual meaning within this story, this legend about this man who was once lamed and then is healed? Peter doesn't do that, does he? He points to the fact that this really happened, but what this miracle is doing is it is proving something. It is proving the authentication of the message of Jesus. This miracle that was just performed, Peter immediately gets up and begins to to teach the message that the God of Abraham, the God of your forefathers, what the prophets spoke about, that, that, that person who is to come, the Savior for everyone, the whole world, that is Jesus. And this miracle testifies to the fact that he is real. This miracle testifies to the fact that he is God, that he is the one that we are selling our lives out for. He immediately points us upward to see who Jesus is. But this miracle really happened, and it proves, it gives accreditation to who Jesus is, that the message that the the apostles were proclaiming was the message of Jesus. The power that was being displayed in their ministry was the power of Jesus, that the Spirit of God that was working in them was the Spirit in Jesus. It's bringing authentication to the message. And we, we see this in life, right? We're, we, we have ways of accreditation, of authentication in, in, in fields of academics, in career fields, in different cultures, right? We want to prove things to be real. And here Peter is drawing to the fact that this miracle that just happened is proving right now that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And he has come to do exactly what he said he would do. Notice the titles he gives Jesus here. He says, this is the servant, the servant that Isaiah spoke about. This is the holy and righteous one. The title, the holy and righteous one, was only given to God in the Old Testament. Because that title signified that Yahweh was other than every other little God. And he says, no, Jesus is that God. (laughs) That's him. The power, the name that this miracle is being performed in is the holy and righteous one. And he says he's the author of life. That's where we get this this Greek word archagon from, which literally means to go first. And what is he tying this to? He says, Jesus is the author of life who is the trailblazer, the pioneer of life. And how is he the trailblazer of life? Because he blazed through death on our behalf. And he was resurrected from the dead. And to that, we are witnesses. You see, when we look at this world, a lot of times we think, I don't know if I can believe in the miraculous, but, but what Peter's drawing to our attention here is that if we believe Jesus is exactly who he said he is, then it's actually inconsistent for us to say we don't believe in miracles. If we believe that Jesus is exactly who the Bible says he is and that what he did and what they were witnesses of actually happened, then it's actually it's inconsistent for us to say we don't believe in miracles. It's unreasonable for us to say we don't believe in miracles. Because the author of life, the holy and righteous one, Jesus Christ, is not only the creator of this world, but he also is sustaining it. And yes, he he sustains it. And and we can say that the way he sustains it is through the laws of nature that we, we can understand and grapple with in this world. But if he is the one who creates it and he sustains it and he is the one who is above it, then why not? Why can't he go above and around those laws to sustain his creation? Why not? Why can't he not do the miraculous to show his power on display? And here, Peter is starting off this message. He's saying, look, 
hey, when we look at this miracle, the first thing we should do is look upward because it's pointing us to the fact that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. You see, if you're here today and perhaps you're, you're trying to explore this Christian faith, I just encourage you, don't get hung up on miracles. Don't let that be the thing that, that turns you away from Christianity. Don't let that be the thing that distracts you from what we really should seek, which is this, is Jesus exactly who he said he was? And are the claims of his life true? Because Peter is drawing that to, to, to a head here, saying that this is the one. Jesus is real. We are witnesses to his power and has been put on display in this miracle. Look at the account of his life, his character, his love, his courage, his humility, the claims he made, his resurrection. So this old English pastor, I once heard the story about this pastor who um, had a friend who wrote in an article to him. He had like a, a section in a newspaper. You guys remember what newspapers were? Like the physical ones? Um, and he would actually have this like ask a pastor question uh, section um, in, in the local newspaper in England. And he uh, had a friend who wrote in one day. And he wrote this uh, to, to his pastor. He says, I would believe in God if you could give me a watertight argument. If you could give me a watertight argument, I would believe in God. And this pastor friend wrote him back and said, God didn't give us a watertight argument. He gave us a watertight person. Jesus Christ, against whom in the end there can be no argument. That's what Peter's doing here. He's saying this miracle points us upward to the authentication that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. It points us, it immediately points us to see that his power put on display here is real. He is the holy servant, the prophet, the holy and righteous one, the pioneer of life. He is king. And that's what we have to grapple with. When we see miracles in the Bible, it immediately points us to the fact that is Jesus real? Is he real? Is he true? Did he come to do what he actually said that he came to do? Because this is the name in which this man is healed. But not only does it point us immediately upward to think about who Jesus is, but it also points us forward to full restoration. If you look back at verse 8, Notice the details Luke gives us here. He doesn't just say that this man got up and walked. He says that he was leaping up. He stood, he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, that may seem insignificant, but when you look back at the Hebrew Scriptures and you see in Isaiah 35 that Isaiah is actually explaining a day where we'll see this happen. He says that there will be a day where the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. What is Isaiah 35 describing? It is describing a day when God comes back and he restores everything that is broken in this world. And Luke here is giving these details of, of leaping for joy here. And then Peter comes and he gives the explanation for us in verse 21. He says, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So Peter immediately pulls us back to Isaiah 35 and says, there's going to be a day where all things will be restored, where those who are lame just like this man will leap. They will shout for joy. Peter's pointing to the fact that this miracle is a sign of the future to come. Now, does this mean that everyone who puts their faith in Jesus will be healed? No. You see, even on this day in Jerusalem, I would uh, be willing to bet that there were many who were sick, probably many who were lame, 
but Peter heals one. Jesus, working through Peter, heals this one to give us a sign of what our future will look like. You see, if Jesus just wanted to put on his power on display, right, uh, he doesn't do it like, like we see like magic shows and things like that, right? Like if he wanted just to, to put his power on display, he could, you know, with his finger, write his name in the sky, or he could just make the, the temple start levitating up, or he could make my sad Atlanta Braves fan, like win a championship or something like that. Like that would be miraculous, Jesus. That would put your power on display. I'm, I'm very bitter, guys. Um, but, you know, he doesn't do those things, right? The miracles we see in the New Testament through Jesus and through his apostles, why is it that every single one of them deal with suffering? They deal with troubles. They alleviate suffering and troubles of this world. Why? Because they're pointing to something in the future. They're giving us a glimpse of something in the future. And they're teaching us and they're reminding us that God didn't invent blindness. He didn't invent lameness. He didn't create suffering. He didn't create this world filled with death. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, you see that God put humans in the garden to to serve him and to love and care for his creation. But the story continues, right? Adam and Eve turn away from God and things begin to fall apart. And from that moment on, we deal with the realities of that fallen world. Poverty, injustice, sickness, cancer, disease, death, all explodes on the scene. And when we look to a miracle story like this, it reminds us that this was not the way the world was intended. It reminds us that there is something greater. As C.S. Lewis puts it, miracles are not the suspension of the natural order, but a return to the natural order. Jesus' healings are the only natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. I love that. It reminds us that God is an enemy of suffering, and one day he's going to deal with it all. And if we're on his side, as the church, if we're on his side, then we too can be enemies of suffering today. Meaning the things that we have in this church, like Good Neighbor Initiative, other opportunities to serve, they're there so that we can alleviate suffering whenever possible that we can join in on what God is doing in restoring all things. And one day, he's going to complete it. Doesn't that give us so much hope? In a world filled with suffering, in a world filled with troubles, doesn't it give us so much hope that, that this miracle points us to a day where we won't have to face that anymore? A day where we won't have to endure those things anymore. A day where he will make all things right, and we will be on the winning side. Until that day, we get to participate. We get to join in on what God is doing in this world, praying for restoration of all things. And so it looks forward. Man, it looks forward to this glorious hope we have, but then it also points inward into our soul's need for salvation. Look back at verse 6. Peter says to this gentleman, I have no silver and gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, anytime we see these miracle stories, the physical elements that these men are dealing with or these women are dealing with, they're actually pointing to our hearts. They actually point to the condition of our hearts. When we think of someone who's blind, we're, we're immediately uh, understanding of what that looks like spiritually, that we're blind and we need to, our eyes to be open to see Jesus for who he is. When we think of someone who's lame and paralyzed, we immediately realize that our souls are lame and paralyzed and need to be enlivened by the Spirit of God. In essence, the miracle and the message here is this, that there is hope in Jesus Christ. That there is salvation 
for the deepest longings of our souls in Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter is explaining to this man. Silver and gold, those are good things. That's not what I have to give you. I'm going to give you something deeper, something more meaningful, something more precious. And as bad as suffering is in this life, and as bad as this suffering for this gentleman was, it wasn't the worst thing about his situation. The worst thing about his situation was that he was crippled by his sin. And if we continue to see the story in Acts, we'll see this man actually is counted as one of the disciples. Because the greater healing than his physical healing was his soul. And Peter is putting this on display when we look at verse 16. He reminds us that in this text, that it is by faith, in whose name? In the name of Jesus, that has made this man strong, who you see and know. And it is that faith that through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. What makes this man take Peter's hand? I always wonder that. What, what other words that Peter might say here that Luke didn't quite record? Like, like what would give this man out of all the days, the courage to actually take this man's hand, Peter, and stand up? What would give this man the courage to be counted as one of the disciples? Well, Peter says, it's faith. Not faith in Peter, not faith in John, but faith in Jesus. See, Peter rightly says, I don't have silver and gold to give you. I honestly don't even have the physical healing to give you. But what I do have to give you is Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. You see, I'm sure this man probably thought, if I could just walk, (laughs) man, if I could just walk, I'd probably never be unhappy again. Think about that. He's seen all these people walking in and out of the temple. He's probably thinking, if I could just walk, (laughs) man, that'd solve all of my problems, wouldn't it? But I can see Peter looking at this guy and saying, you know what? Hey, there's a lot of people walking here, and they're unhappy. A lot of people who have what you don't have, and they're unhappy. It takes a lot more than just an alleviation of our suffering to fill our souls. And every one of us in this room, including me, we've been there, right? We've been there just like this gentleman. We're looking for silver and gold. We're looking for something earthly, something physical, something economic, something emotional, something superficial. And we say if we just have that, we'd be happy. If we just had that one thing, it would satisfy us. But many people have those things that we strive for and are not satisfied. Why? Because we need something more than physical healing. We need something more than money. We need something more than a great job. We need restoration to our God. We need relationship with our God. We need reconciliation to our God. We need our hearts to be filled with his love, to experience forgiveness of our sins, to have faith in Jesus. So in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, when he's healing this paralyzed man, he says, son, your sins have been forgiven. In essence, he's reminding this guy, I'm going to heal you, but I want you to know what you have to have, what I offer you, what you really need, is relationship with God based off of grace and forgiveness. And to that, I give you. You see, these miracle stories, they, they point us inward. They remind us that suffering will always be with us. And for many of us in the room, maybe you are suffering right now. Maybe you've gone through a really difficult trial and the Lord's healed you from that. Praise God. But maybe you haven't been healed. Maybe you're still enduring suffering. 
Maybe there's a trial that you will never be healed of on this side of eternity. But suffering in the Christian life is not all bad. In fact, the Bible tells us that we can suffer and we can become more joyful. We can suffer and we can become more happy in Jesus. We can be more humble, more tenderhearted towards others, more dependent upon God. But what we have to deal with, what we have to wrestle with is our sin. Because if that's left unchecked, it destroys. And Peter reminds us that these miracle stories, they actually point us inward. They remind us that there's something deeper down that we have to deal with. There's something deeper down that we're struggling with than just the sufferings of this world. And that is the sin in our lives. But he also encourages us here. He reminds us that there is repentance and refreshment from the presence of the Lord. I love that, right? There is repentance and refreshment from the presence of the Lord. You see, when we deal with the real problems that we have, when we look deep down and we deal with what we're actually having to deal with in life, the the sins and the struggles that we have, the things that separate us from a holy God, Jesus meets us in our need. He doesn't leave us to struggle in this life. He doesn't leave us on our own. He meets us with his grace and his mercy. Peter says we can repent, we can cast our burdens on him, we can come to him, as he says, all who are weary and heavy laden. And what will he give us? Rest, refreshment in him. And then finally, these miracle stories, they point us downward into mission with Jesus. Look at verse 18. Peter is recounting again the story as it unfolds in the Bible. And he reminds us here that God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer. And he thus fulfilled. The life of Christ, we oftentimes say, is marked by suffering. Have you ever noticed when you look at the miracle stories, whether in the New Testament of the the Gospels and Jesus or here by the apostles, that every time a miracle is performed, that the miracle worker becomes more vulnerable? Ever thought about that? Every time a miracle is performed, the miracle worker actually becomes weak, vulnerable, open to attack. And we see it right here. I don't want to jump ahead too far, but if we were to go to Acts chapter 4, we'd see that there is a direct cause and effect here. Peter and John perform a miracle, and the next thing that happens is they're being thrown into prison. Immediately, there is a threat on their life after this miracle. Immediately, they are more vulnerable, more open to attack after this miracle. If you look in the life of Jesus, when he heals Nazareth, when he, when he, when he raises Lazarus from, from the dead, what happens? Well, the religious leaders get together and say, hey, we've got we to figure out how to kill this guy. Or, or when the, the woman who had the blood disordered reaches out to touch Jesus, what does the text say? That Jesus turned around and says, power has left me. Something has left me. You see, there's this idea of substitution that happens in the miracle stories. Strength for weakness. And here we see that on display. That these miracles, they point us to the fact that that these guys, Peter and John and Jesus, they were not these like superhero uh, kind of Marvel movie superpower guys that we we think of in, in fiction, right? I mean, I mean, when, look, when Thor swings his hammer, Iron Man puts on a suit, he doesn't, he doesn't become weak, right? He doesn't become more vulnerable. He becomes more invulnerable. He, he does these big things. He's, he's less like the rest of us in those moments. But here we see that 
when power goes out from the disciples, when power goes out from Jesus, it leads to weakness. It leads to vulnerability. And the greatest miracle of all, the grandest miracle of all, the greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of the world is when God became a man in Jesus Christ. And you know what that did? That made Jesus killable, nailable, thornable, beatable. And the Bible reminds us that it is in weakness that Christ went and suffered on the cross so that we might be strong. It is through his weakness that we experience strength. And in doing so, we too come in weakness to Christ. Right? We come with repented hearts. We come reminding ourselves that we're not strong on our own, but when we come to Christ, he fills us with his power. He fills us with his love because Christ came and he suffered in weakness for us so that we might experience the power of God unto salvation. It immediately points us down and reminds us that the way of Jesus is a way of sacrifice. That the way of following Christ in this world, the mission of the church, is one of sacrifice, one of surrender, one of repentance, one of reminding ourselves that we all have things that we're dealing with and none of us are perfect, but we come to a perfect God who has put his power on display on the cross for us and that we have forgiveness, we receive forgiveness, we have grace and mercy in our time of need. As one of my pastor friends once said, the healing of this world comes through the sacrificial death of the church. We want to see healing in our world? It comes when we go down with Jesus. It comes through us seeing the way of Jesus as a way of sacrifice. A way where we say, you know what? My friend doesn't deserve my forgiveness, but I'm going to pour it out anyways. Because that's the way of Jesus. I'm going to enter into someone else's suffering and bear with it. Why? Because through that, God can heal this person. It's the way of Jesus. I'm going to give more than I receive because it's the way of Jesus. I'm going to pour out my life for others because it is the way of Jesus. These miracle stories remind us that his power is made perfect in our weakness. And in doing so, we can see healing brought to the world just like healing was brought to this man. In doing so, we can magnify Jesus just like Peter stood up and made much of Jesus in his message. And so this miracle today, as we, as we come to our time of, of communion, it really does point us in these four directions, doesn't it? It reminds us that Jesus is real. That he is exactly who he said he was. And it points us forward to a day where he will eliminate all suffering in this world. And man, that is such great news for us today. But as we come to the Lord's table, it points inward on our hearts. It reminds us that what we really need to deal with is our sin. It reminds us that we have opportunity today to have a relationship with our God through Jesus Christ. And lastly, as the church, it pushes us down to the way of Jesus, to follow his example and through his example to see salvation come to this world. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.